thank you so much for praying for me as I prepared for today. The seed for this message came in late May 2020. I was sitting outside on my deck, and it was beautiful. Blue sky, warm sunlight. Should have been the perfect morning coffee situation. But I was unsettled. Checking online, I watched footage of looting, violence, and fires in the Twin Cities. Protests turned to riots over the horrible death of George Floyd. And it hit home, literally, as city maps on the news showed pockets of violence had sprung up in many neighborhoods, including those I loved to visit when I lived there, like Grand Avenue and Uptown. Did you know that the rioting in Minneapolis and St. Paul that summer was the second most destructive civil unrest in U.S. history after the 1992 L.A. riots over the police beating of Rodney King? 1,500 properties in the cities suffered $500 million in damage, and at least two people died. For three nights, the rioting had escalated, and there was no sign it would stop. How could it be brought under control? Would it? Add this to two stressors already in place, the questions and panics surrounding the pandemic and the bitter division and vitriol between political parties and the upcoming election. Of course, personal trials did not cease during all this social turmoil. How was it for you? I felt worried, frightened even, definitely shaken from a sense of security. So I put my device aside, isn't that often a key step, and opened up the book of Psalms, something I had learned to do in previous trials. I bet many of you do the same. I spent a lot of time in the Psalms that summer, and I found much comfort and encouragement. So I began to compile phrases and verses into one big psalm I call Psalm 2020, as in Psalm 2020. (laughs) One thing stood out to me as I collected all these nuggets of grace and gems of truth. It was the phrase, but I. Over and over, I saw a contrast between the psalm writer's trials and his determined volition to respond in faith, all introduced with conjunctions of contrast. At Duluth Bible Church, we've enjoyed encouraging messages centered on the phrase, but God. Here's an example. Ephesians 2 says that we, God's children saved by grace through faith, were once dead in trespasses and sins. And verses 4 and 5 say, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. My message today is a spin-off of But God. We know God is faithful and good. We know he loves us. We know he's sovereign. But I, but we, we don't enjoy his attributes or benefit from his promises unless we choose to respond by faith in him and in his word. Things haven't improved in the news cycle since 2020. In fact, it seems like things are falling apart, like the world is rapidly descending into chaos and godlessness. Andy Woods' podcasts cover current events lining up to fulfill biblical prophecies. He likes to say things are not falling apart, they're falling into place. We know every generation of Christians before us has looked at world circumstances and thought, this must be the end times. 
but it's only in recent years that we can point to the World Economic Forum and its global agenda, the ubiquitous push for cultural Marxism, the progress toward a cashless society and social credit system, and the growing threat from China and Russia. I'll stop there. <laughs> as this list is plenty and may be discouraging. That's a real issue I face as a person who likes to keep up with current events. Can you relate? I'm going to go on a tangent. I teach media literacy to sophomores, and I've learned some things that won't be a surprise, but that we would all do well to bear in mind. First, the news media is a money-making business. Powerful multi-million dollar corporations sponsor their content, and these sponsors have an agenda. The news media is under pressure to keep sponsors happy and highlight the narratives that the sponsors want promoted while downplaying other information, even if it's true. The narrative above all. Now, news sources on both sides of the political spectrum are biased and feature activists rather than journalists and propaganda rather than purely factual news. We need a healthy skepticism. Also, the news manipulates our attention. Have you ever noticed yourself responding emotionally to the news? Yeah. Um, two of the news media's favorite ways to keep us clicking or tuning in are to make us angry or to make us afraid. Contrast that agenda with God's word. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Amen. And praise God that he saw fit to tell us in his word that Jesus is coming again, and this world is not going to be around forever. Concerning what day or hour, no one knows, but God has given us enough information in his word to tell us something of what it will look like and to comfort us with the promise that we won't be here when God's fearsome judgment unscrolls. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17 foretells and promises the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. I recently heard a commentator, um, I think it was Andrew Clavin, say that Jesus didn't come to save the world. He came to save individuals. The world is going to burn, and we know this because God told us in 2 Peter 3, which begins with the word beloved, a term describing his specific audience, those who have obtained like precious faith with us. In other words, children of God, those of us whom he saved when we decided to trust Christ's death, burial, and resurrection as sufficient to save us. Here is some of what God tells us in 2 Peter 3. I'm skipping portions for time's sake. The chapter heading in my Schofield Bible says, God's promise is not slack. Beloved, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? Since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, but the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. 
the earth and the works in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming day of the Lord? God, in his mercy, may tarry, but we could see the day of the Lord begin to unfold in our lifetime. How should we respond? We trust the promises we know, but we might still fear the unknown. I find no comfort in a stable world system or a calm news cycle, but I have felt rallied by the psalm writers who declared, but I will, in the face of danger and distress. And as an English teacher, I've been excited to catch all of these conjunctions expressing contrast. Last fall, I turned to Philip and said, I could give a message about conjunctions in the Psalms. <laughs> but Pastor Stiegel said, I was the rare person to get excited about grammar <laughs> in the Bible. And a wise friend told me not to give a grammar lesson at the ladies' retreat, so I promise you, you won't feel like you're back in an English classroom today. <laughs> Except for a few brief concepts. Conjunctions function to join ideas are you remembering the Schoolhouse Rock song? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The conjunction but expresses contrast, and the conjunction for expresses purpose, explaining why or because. Before we go to the Psalms today, I want to look at one particular use of the conjunction for. John 3.16 begins with the word for. Have you ever thought about that? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Four sets up John 3.16 to explain the purpose for the previous verses. It connects us to the story of our Savior, Jesus Christ, patiently explaining to the religious, unsaved Pharisee, Nicodemus, who was slow to understand, as we often can be, uh, what it means to be born again. Jesus tells him, in verses 14 and 15, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The bronze serpent that Moses lifted up on a pole in Numbers 21 pictures Jesus Christ lifted on the cross. The Israelites had sinned against God in unbelief, and they were dying from snake bites. But... If they believed and heeded Moses' instruction to look at the lifted bronze serpent, they lived. And Jesus said to Nicodemus, Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Why? For, because, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Whoever believes. This verse gives only one necessary response, believe. The word whoever indicates that some will believe and some won't, just as some of the Israelites chose to look to the serpent and they lived, but some chose not to and they died. There's volition there. We all have the choice to believe in God's only begotten son lifted up on the cross, dying for our sins in our place for that's how much God loves us. Have you chosen to believe? Have you received the precious gift of everlasting life? So, knowing that Jesus is coming again and that this world is going to burn, what's a woman to do? 
In 2 Peter, which I read from just a bit ago, Peter poses the question, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God? One answer is that you must be born again, because Peter's specific audience is those who have already obtained like precious faith. We know there will be some who love his returning. Lord, may I be one of those, right? Just like Jesus presented the ultimate choice to believe on him or not to Nicodemus, the Lord presents choices to those of us who are born again, to those of us who are, who are his children, to trust him, to praise him, to pray. I believe these choices I'm about to present help to answer the question of what manner of persons ought we to be. The psalm writers faced significant trials, such as persecution, backbiting, bereavement, and betrayal. David endured his son turning on him and rejecting God. They felt fear, like we might feel reading the news, and like David felt, hiding as he was literally being hunted. They found themselves waiting on the Lord and waiting. What are your trials today? In many ways, these Bible giants are just like us, Tempted as we are with discouragement and doubt, even fear and despair, at times swept away by their own emotions. But like them, we have volition in adversity. We can choose our response, and as we wait on him, our God can give us peace that passes understanding, calm in chaos. So here we go. Let's examine how the psalm writer's choices brought them strength, comfort, and peace instead of panic. And I hope that you are as encouraged by these passages as I have been. One choice we have is to abide in fellowship with God. In Psalm 5, David describes how God hates evildoers. Then verse 7 begins, But as for me, contrast, I will, volition, come into your house in the multitude of your mercy. In Psalm 84, 1, the sons of Korah exclaim, How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts! And they later explain, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. We have a place we can decide to go day or night, a refuge, a, a place of calm in chaos, and that is fellowship with God. The news is foreboding and evil is flourishing. But I will come into your house, Lord. Psalm 91, 1 and 2 says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In Him I will trust. Which brings me to a second choice, trust. In Psalm 55, 4 and 5, David says, My heart is severely pained within me. Fearfulness and trembling have come upon me, and horror has overwhelmed me. Have you ever suffered severe heartache or fear? How about anxiety or a panic attack? He goes on to say that there are many against him and that they do not fear God. He also mentions seeing violence and strife in the city, which reminds me of the summer of 2020. However, David ends this psalm saying, But I will trust in you. And in Psalm 57, he begins, For 
My soul trusts in you, and in the shadow of your wings will I make my refuge until these calamities have passed by. David also chooses to trust while waiting on the Lord. And waiting. And waiting. Maybe you're waiting on the Lord right now for a mate, for your spouse to repent, for a job, for wisdom, for relief from affliction. We can choose to trust despite delay, like David in Psalm 13. In verse 1, he asks, How long, O Lord? However, in verse 5, he declares, But I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. And can't we all agree with David? Has God not dealt bountifully with each of us? I bet you can look back at God's grace and provision in your own life in both trials and blessings. That brings us to our next choice. We can choose to remember what God has done for us. In Psalm 77, Asaph is in a bad way. In fact, in verse 4, he says, I am so troubled that I cannot speak. He even goes on to ask, has his mercy ceased forever? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Ever found yourself in a circumstance so discouraging that you question God? Doubted his grace and mercy? Asaph is in anguish, but in verses 10 and 11, he shifts from despair and chooses to remember and praise, declaring, But I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High, I will remember the works of the Lord. He continues, Who is so great a God as our God? You are the God who does wonders, further demonstrating his shift from despair to faith. When you shift your thinking to remembering the Lord's providence in your life, you change your perspective. In Psalm 143.4, David says, My spirit is overwhelmed within me. My heart within me is distressed. We've all been there. How does David choose to respond? The next verse finds him saying, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all your works. David's prayer reminds us that we can also choose to pray in our distress. David says in Psalm 109 that the wicked hate him and slander him. Have you ever been the hated subject of malicious gossip? David responds in verse 4, But I give myself to prayer. Psalm 55 has the heading, A Complaint Concerning False Friends. In verses 16 and 17, David contrasts himself with his frenemies. As for me, I will call upon God and the Lord shall save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I will pray and cry aloud and he shall hear my voice. David knows that though his friends have failed him, God will not. But what about when we are swept away by our emotions? Sadness, deep and overwhelming, like a tsunami of grief. Or what about depression that pulls us under? In Psalm 69, David cries out to the Lord in prayer, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire. Remember that phrase, deep mire? Where there is no standing, 
I have come into deep waters where the floods overflow me. I am weary with my crying. My throat is dry. My eyes fail while I wait for my God. Sounds like the deepest despair, does it not? Have you ever felt this way, where there is no standing? Where you can't touch the bottom of your sadness? Or find any truth to comfort you or grab onto? In David's case, he was warning the reproach of those who hated him without cause. And as he described, they numbered more than the hairs on his head. Could David possibly be exaggerating here? Now, his point that those who reproach him are many stands. But do we ever exaggerate our trials and our own thinking while we're sinking in the deep mire of emotions? It's not helpful. Other times, our sadness is deep enough without exaggeration. But we can respond like David, who even in that level of distress declares in later verses, but... As for me, my prayer is to you. Deliver me out of the mire and let me not sink. And then his prayer turns to praise in verse 16. For your loving kindness is good. Turn to me according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Now, Psalm 40 seems to indicate that God did turn to David and rescue him. As David explains in Psalm 40, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of a miry pit, out of the miry clay. Deep mire. Remember that phrase. We can also choose to praise the Lord as David did, even when it seems incongruous to praise God in severe trials and when emotions threaten to drown us. Notice the volition in Psalm 63, which David wrote when he was in the wilderness of Judah and in danger of death at the hands of his son, Absalom. Verses 3 and 4 say, Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. Verse 7, Because you have been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. Psalm 147.1 says, Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and praise is beautiful. Verses 3 to 5 continue with both purpose and praise. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He counts the numbers of the stars. He calls them all by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. Verse 11 says, The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his mercy. Is it not reasonable to also say that he takes pleasure in those who praise him? Perhaps he's even blessed. Can we bless God? Well, Psalm 103 praises God's providential care, and David begins, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Another admonition to remember all he's done for us. Psalm 103 lists some of his benefits, lest we forget. He forgives all our iniquities. He crowns us with loving kindness and tender mercies. 
He executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. And I will add that his justice is perfect and pure in contrast to a justice any government could attempt. And just a little more from 103, verse 19. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Isn't that comforting in this chaotic world system? Bless the Lord, O my soul. Kind of makes you want to sing, right? That's our next option. We can choose to sing. David wrote in Psalm 59, um, well, when he was in severe trouble, Saul had sent men to kill him. Look, he says in verse 3, they lie in wait for my life. David's chosen response in verses 16 and 17, he declares, but I will sing of your power. Yes, I will sing aloud of your mercy in the morning, for you have been my defense and refuge in the day of my trouble. You don't have to be a good singer to lift up your voice to God. It will lift your spirits. It's a great way to get your focus off yourself and your trials and onto the Lord. Sometimes if I'm not sure what to pray or if I feel prayed out about a trial, not sure if anyone can relate to that, um, I'll sing instead. Psalm 100 verse 2 says, Come before his presence with singing. And verse 4 says, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Why? Purpose conjunction coming up in verse 5, 4. The Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. And speaking of thanksgiving, it is another one of our choices. Praise God, we can give thanks in everything. Not for everything, but in everything. Psalm 107 has a refrain that repeats four times. Oh, that men and women would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. The heading says it's a psalm of God's provision for the redeemed. And he has done wonderful works, and we have benefited. Will we choose to thank him? The last verse, 43, implies a contrast between the wise and the foolish. Whoever is wise will observe these things, these meditations, and they will understand the loving kindness of the Lord. The implication is that the foolish will not. Which category do you choose today? God's loving kindness gives us reason to hope, which is yet another choice. We can hope in him. The heading for Psalm 71 calls it a prayer for old age. Schofield classifies it as a prayer of resignation. The Oxford Dictionary says that resignation is the acceptance of something that is undesirable but inevitable. Old age. All the miracle creams in the world won't prevent it. I take some comfort that this anonymous psalm writer could be really old, like maybe 120. But he is so encouraging in his old age. He recounts his faith throughout most of his life, and God's faithfulness to him all of his life. May we be faithful most of our lives, and praise God, he is faithful to us all our lives. This old psalm writer is being persecuted for his faith. Have you ever been persecuted for your faith? 
However, in verses 14 and 15, he exclaims, But I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. How can he hope continually despite such dire circumstances in his old age? Listen to how he addresses God throughout his psalm. For you are my rock and my fortress. You are my strong refuge. You are my hope, O Lord God. You are my trust from my youth. He is full of hope in the Lord. This same old and gray-headed psalm writer reminds us of another important choice. He declares in the same psalm, verses 15 to 17, My mouth shall tell of your righteousness and your salvation all the day, for I do not know their limits. You have taught me from my youth, and to this day I declare your wonderful works. People need the Lord, and they need to hear the gospel of grace. How shall they hear unless someone tells them at such a time as this? Psalm 105 is about God's faithfulness, and it exhorts us in verse 1, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Make known his deeds among the peoples. And then verse 4 brings us to another choice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face evermore. We can look to the Lord. We can seek him. David wrote Psalm 141 as a prayer of deliverance from trouble so severe that he writes in verse 7, Our bones are scattered at the mouth of the grave as when one plows and breaks up the earth. He continues, But my eyes are upon you, O God the Lord. In you I take refuge. One way we can look to the Lord is by turning to the Bible where we find truth and come to know our God and Savior intimately. We need the word of God. Without it, we would be lost and floundering without truth or assurance. And so, keeping his word is another important choice. To keep the word means to hold on to it and continue in it. Considering the close proximity, our close proximity to the day of the Lord, we would do well to keep and heed God's word. The book of Revelation ends with Jesus speaking in 22.7, Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Schofield classifies Psalm 119 as an instructional psalm about the perfection of God's law or word. The Bible Knowledge Commentary says that the writer of Psalm 119 was persecuted by men of rank and authority who ridiculed his beliefs, seeking to put him to shame and make him give up his beliefs. But he strengthened himself by meditating on the word of the Lord, which to him was his comfort, his prized possession, his rule of life, and his resource for strength, all of which drove him to desire it even more. Should we ever face persecution from people in authority, and maybe you have, we'll need God's word too. In verses 41 to 47, he writes, Let your mercies come also to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your word. So shall I have an answer for him who reproaches me, for I trust in your word. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for I have hoped in your ordinances. 
so shall I keep your law continually forever and ever, and I will walk at liberty, for I seek your precepts. I will speak of your testimonies also before kings and will not be ashamed, and I will delight myself in your commandments, which I love. And one more short verse from Psalm 119, verse 165. Great peace have those who love your law, and nothing causes them to stumble. To love God's law or word is to love him, and that's our next choice. We love him because he first loved us. Psalm 18, 1 and 2 declares, I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. And now for my conclusion, I'm going to switch from first person singular, but I, to first person plural, but we, but us. Psalm 46 begins, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed or burn, like in Second Peter, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. And may Psalm 115 reflect our praise to him. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory, because of your mercy, because of your truth. Why should the Gentiles say, so where is their God? But our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. The psalm goes on to describe idols with eyes that don't see and mouths that don't speak, and that those who make them are like them, But, by contrast, verse 18 ends, But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. God may choose to delay his return, since he is merciful and not willing that any should perish. But the news cycle will still thrive on our fear and our anger. We will continue to age. We'll face trials. Friends will fail us. Unbelievers will continue to scoff. People will talk behind our backs, and the world will one day burn. But as for us, we will pray, we will trust, we will praise our sovereign God and remember all of his benefits. Bless the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, May these choices of positive volition toward you, no matter the adversity we face, describe us all more and more as we look for and hastening, look for and hasten the day of the Lord. We thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat>